Welcome to Shuffle, episode two. And I guess before I start, I just want to say to make sure that you listen to the five songs that are discussed in this week's episode. If you haven't listened to them yet, if you go into the description for this episode, there'll be links to a Spotify and YouTube playlist so you can listen to them either before, after, or during if you want. Joining us again this week is Dominic Manthe. Hey. Yeah, woo. Special I, guest. Everyone loves Expert you so guest. much. Oh, I know. I know. I'm aware. <laughs> Something else that I wanted to talk about or mention that I forgot to the first episode is a little segment I want to call our ICP sedent. <laughs> so, I would like to say that it has been two episodes since we've run into an ICP sedent. What that means is, is due to a very unfortunate <laughs> short period of my high school career, I acquired six insane clown posse albums they are currently sitting in my itunes and every time i hit the next button to pick out the five songs it's kind of like a game of russian roulette where we might get hit with a bullet of an insane clown posse song to discuss i love it as of right now we've gone two episodes without <laughs> so kind of like how similar to factory say it's been blank day since our last mm -hmm. accident it has been two episodes since an icp incident, and let's hope to keep it that way I like that. It's very. It's sort of like a, a part of you you've tried to repress that that rears its ugly head, and I just get to watch. Exactly. The horror, the trauma, relive. And you know, I could delete them, <laughs> but I don't. Exactly. Out of principle, I'm owning it. I appreciate that. We all do. We all. <laughs> I guess before we get into the five songs. I thought it'd be, it might be interesting. Is there anything you've been listening to lately that you've really been digging? Doesn't have to be new, just anything. something new I have been listening to. Okay. And this might be controversial. It might not. I don't know. It's the new Beck single, "Dreams." Dreams. Okay. I love it. I think it's fantastic, and I think it's way better than the stuff that he won the Grammy. I completely agree. Really? I don't. I did not listen to the album as much that he won the Grammy for, so I guess I can't completely agree with you on that part, but I do love this dream single. It's fantastic. It's incredible. Like it's it is just so catchy mm -hmm. and it's I don't know, I guess sometimes Beck can be a little out there at times. Yeah. yeah. And I think he hit just the right level of like being a little bit out there but still being catchy at the yep. same time. Exactly. No I even because there's so many layers to the song. And kind of like you said, sometimes it's just like jarring, like his early, early stuff. Yeah. He tries to blend so many genres, but this is like perfect blending of genres, weird digital layers to the sound that, but it's brilliant. And his last album, it was okay, but it got a ton, a ton, a ton of rave reviews. And he said in an interview that this was like the music I'd always been too afraid to Really? And that upset me. That upset me. As a longtime fan, I was like, are you serious? Your best stuff was scared, and now this is what you're... Did you ever hear about that album of sheet music that he put out? I did. I've seen it. Okay, what I've did you think it. about that? I, honest to God, I have, like, no opinion on it, because I heard, like, three bands play the music, and I, like, could not quite gauge what it was. Sure. <laughs> I, at first thought it was a little pretentious i thought Very it was a little much <laughs> but at the time it came out i was still living in minnesota mm. and i don't know if you're familiar with 98.3 the current the minneapolis oh, yeah. radio station oh yeah 
First of all, I'd like to get a shout out for that radio station because they're awesome. But secondly, they did this really cool thing where they got Beck on the phone. And they got a bunch of local Minneapolis bands to perform all of the songs of sheet music. So like, they got a bunch of different Minneapolis-based bands to perform each song. And then after each song, Beck would kind of get on the phone and talk a little bit about Wow. The process of writing that song and what he had hoped for it and whatnot. So I thought that was actually a really cool that way to go about it. But you know, if they had like recorded that into an album that I could take home and listen, I'd like it more. Yeah. But just the sheet music thing, I guess me not being a musician, it's kind of it's a little much. <laughs> it's a little much, Beck. Well, come you know, on, Beck. He bet out himself. I mean, I guess him saying like this is the music I was afraid to make, and then. The other thing with Beck that I always have to like try to blind out of my head is the fact that he's a Scientologist. True. Which yeah. is another like it sucks, he makes such good music, but you're like <laughs> doing all these things to make me not want to like you. But at the same time, it gives us an explanation for why he's so successful, because he worships the correct God well, and uh, follows and, the right religion. Yeah, and Scientology <laughs> is definitely one of those religions cult that if you do what they say you will be successful exactly. magically because exactly. all of your what beatons are gone exactly or yep. word xenu spirits tom cruise bullshit. john travolta come on you can't get where you're at and still have beatons are you in your mind forget about it forget about it <laughs> forget about it yeah. okay well i guess we can get into it then all right so our first song it's Sun Kill Moon's cover of Modest Mouse's Ocean Breathe Salty off the 2005 album Tiny Cities. Hmm. I guess if everyone's interested, Sun Kill Moon, uh, technically it started off as a band. It is now more so the solo project of a man named Mark Pozolik. So I don't know if you're familiar with the band The Red House Painters or if you've ever heard of them. I so, have not. They were a pretty big kind of indie rock band in the 90s, and their record sales started going down. So literally, the exact lineup of that band quit Red House Painters and started a new <laughs> band called Sun Kill Moon. Uh-huh. So they just kind of changed the name, and they've said in interviews they did it just to try to like say like maybe having a change of name will trick people into <laughs> not thinking it's us and we'll get better record sales that's clever so they put out a couple albums as a band and it has since kind of just become this solo guitar singer project mm-hmm. of this mark kozolik guy and the second album they put out was tiny cities which is an entire album of modest mouse covers mm-hmm. and they did it without modest mouse's permission really modest I mouse know. had nothing to say nothing to say about it <laughs> Uh, another interesting fact is the name Sun Kill Moon is actually the name of a Korean lightweight boxer. I knew that. Mark Zolik is actually a hardcore boxing fan. Really? If you look over the discography of Red House Painters and Sun Kill Moon, there are multiple song titles and lyrical references to different obscure boxers. Wow. Such as this, his, the Korean boxer's name is actually Moon Sun Kill. Uh, and they just kind of moved it around. So this isn't like Viet Cong, the band who just like out of nowhere pulled a random other culture's name. No, okay. and okay, actually I, I don't know if you heard, but they actually just changed, changed their band yeah. name. They, they, they backed down. 
wussed out. <laughs> yeah, what a bunch of wimps, man. <laughs> like, finally, someone knows. Yeah, someone finally <laughs> had the guts to say what we've all been thinking, <laughs> yeah. and they just said, nah, man, Forget we're going to take a step back. Man, they were so political, too, man. They were my political yeah. compass. Now I'm just lost. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Where I should know. I direct my anger towards the government? I don't now? know, man. Now I guess I'll just vote for Trump. There you yes. go. Thanks Both a lot. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Viet Cong band, formerly known as Viet Cong. Okay, so back to the song. <laughs> Ocean Breeze Salty, Modest Mouse song. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it is Modest Mouse's version of the song is probably my top 10 songs of all time. It's, if not, yeah. definitely my 20. I love that song. Yep. Sun Kill Moons cover of it is an extremely stripped down kind of melancholy acoustic guitar rendition of the song. What yeah. do you think of it? So, I mean, I, I found myself asking philosophically, what is the function of a cover song? Why? Why does one cover a song? Interesting. And I'm such a complex thinker, I thought of it not one, but two reasons. Ooh, Ooh was a lot. So one, to drop some knowledge. <laughs> one reason I feel like a band covers a song is simply because they love the band and they love the song. And there's not a reason far beyond that. And the second one would be related, but a little bit different is that they think they can reinterpret the song in some okay. way, add some sort of, you know, new layer, kind of new musical meaning to it. And I was torn. I was torn. Of which of those two this was? Yes, I was See, torn. I can think of a third one. Okay. That cannot apply to the song though. What would it be? Live. Yes. Yeah. Very good. It point. makes yeah, crowds freak true. out when they hear a band cover like, "Oh, I know this song." Very true. But that doesn't apply to the yeah. song. Yeah. No, but that's very true. So this, I, I don't know, I because I love Sun Kill Moon. I do. I, they're really one of my favorite bands that I've gotten into the last couple of years and I love this song by Modest Mouse it's one of my favorite Modest Mouse songs Read. and I just couldn't quite match them together my love for both it's not bad but it's not like as good as the original I agree um I completely agree yeah I don't think it does the song justice I I mean this the Modest Mouse version of the song I love it so much lyrically I, I love the lyrics. It's kind of like this whole song about questioning why people have faith in organized religion in a very beautiful, simple yeah. way. The Isaac's manic vocals, the layered instruments. I just think it adds up into this like very, I almost want to say like touchingly emotional way. Yeah. I find the original. Yeah. Whereas the Sun Kill Moon one, it's very kind of apathetic and beaten down yeah almost. and i usually love mark's vocals but it almost sounds like he's like singing with a bunch of marbles in his mouth yeah like, <laughs> like i don't know there yeah, is it's very like mournful kind of yeah it, it made me appreciate isaac brock's voice more yes which is a incredibly mean thing at first to say about oh, someone's cover but i i never quite appreciated how much his voice adds to the song sure because it just by hearing this because yeah the lyrics fell a little flat they fell flat and i feel 
the melody of his vocals and the repetitiveness of the guitar and just the fact that those are the only two things featured in the song yeah even though it's only about like a four minute long song i feel like it dragged on a yeah. lot and i couldn't focus on the lyrics because i was like losing attention as i was listening to it yeah almost. yeah yeah which is total opposite from and the i know with isaac brock lyrics are kind of a hurdle you have to jump because of his manic style his heavy lisp a lot of times i at least find myself i have to look up the lyrics because it's yeah. hard to understand i can easily understand the lyrics in the sun kill moon cover yeah but i couldn't pay attention to him because it was like i'm not trying to be insulting but boring almost yeah, and it's ironic because the lyrics are fantastic exactly but the better we can hear them <laughs> and I guess in the context yeah. of a whole album of Modest Mouse covers, I would put this one in your first theory. Yeah. And homage to the band. Yeah. Because if you're going to make a whole album verse of covers for a band, because I don't think they're reimagining them in a way. Most of the album is kind of this very stripped down, bare yeah. versions of the song. So it's probably just a way to say thanks, Modest Mouse. Yeah, I think so. Part of me just feels like Mark could have done a little bit of a better job if he'd been a Scientologist. <laughs> I think that's his one flaw. Oh, Otherwise, I think, you man. know, for a non-Scientologist, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. You fucked up, Mark. But otherwise, you fucked up. You fucked up. Mark. And one random tidbit I gotta I gotta throw out there for Mark. How do you say his last name? Pizolek is my best Pizolek. guess. He is in the movie Vanilla Sky Bruce. Did you know that? I did not know that. Oh, yes. He actually has like a speaking, speaking role. Speaking role. He has one line, and it is, Dude, fix your fucking face. <laughs> to <laughs> Tom Cruise. To yelling at Tom Cruise as he's at the club in the bathroom with his mask off, his figure. And that's Mark Gazelic yelling. Do yeah. you know any story behind how that happened i have no clue i honestly i have no clue i just looked up to see if he had been in the movie and he'd been in that movie and i knew that line because it was when you see it in the movie it's kind of yeah it's not as funny but knowing it's him now it's funny very funny. interesting yeah yeah and mark kazolik is an interesting guy in his own right yes. have you heard about the Controversy he's had with the band The War on Drugs. I, yeah, I have. And the song he wrote called <laughs> Fuck the War on Drugs. Yeah, or no, the, the War on Drugs Can Suck My Fucking Dick, I think it. is what it's yep. called. Yep. And, and there was another controversy where he, again, we gotta say allegedly here, because we, we don't wanna get in trouble, but he allegedly, some journalist that had I think just interviewed him before he went on stage and then he went on stage and he started allegedly insulting her while he was on stage in a very yeah allegedly allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, he's allegedly a dick in person <laughs> but he's a fantastic musician well yeah I I don't want to sound too negative about him his album I just had to look up the title because I couldn't remember Admiral Phil Promises mm. I absolutely love that album yeah it's it's very similar to actually this cover, except all of the instrumentation is classical nylon string guitar. Yeah. So, and I think his vocal works a little bit better. And it's just like the most beautiful classic guitar in just him singing. I, I don't know. I, I can't recommend it. So, yeah, 
I'm not trying to sound like I absolutely hate him. I just he's great though. Yeah. It this is a hard song for people to cover just because of how close I feel to the song itself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts about the cover? I got my Scientology bit out, right? So, you, you did get the Scientology bit out. <laughs> you <laughs> hit the mark. <laughs> then I'm done. That's the sign up. All right, so next we're moving to the song Deo, in parentheses, the Banana Boat song by Harry Belafonte and featured by Danny Elfman on the Beetlejuice soundtrack. That's right. The Beetlejuice soundtrack came out in 1988. The album that the song originally was on, called Calypso, came out in 1956. Yeah. Just to start off, this was kind of a hard song for me to kind of break down. Yeah. Because I don't know how to word this. I feel like a song like this is so ingrained in like the public's consciousness. I feel like it's a part of my brain. Like I know I've known this song since I was a child. Yeah. So it's like, how do I be critical about it? Like it's just it's always been there, and it's it's not in a bad way. It's a simple song. Yeah, you know, it's it's a song about banana boat workers working a night shift, stacking bananas and wanting the shift to be over. Yeah, it's incredibly simple. That's the song. Yeah, yeah. I guess a little bit of background. Harry Belafonte is a mento slash calypso singer. Mm -hmm. He's one of the most famed. They actually call him the king of calypso, even though he was born in the United States, ironically. Typical, Harlem. typical USA. Yeah. Deo, it's a traditional Jamaican folk song. Not many people know about where it originated other than banana boat workers used to sing it because it, it's a good working song. It's a call and response song. Yeah. One person sings one line. The group responds with, they like common, we want to go home. But other than that, I first heard it in the Beetlejuice yeah. movie. Is that yeah. the first place you heard it? It wasn't actually. I didn't see Beetlejuice like just five years ago really so actually yeah this song i i was trying to think when i heard it because exactly as you said it's like the pledge of allegiance yeah it's like a, you've heard it so many times you just almost don't even know how to like reevaluate it it's just so i don't know where the first time i heard it but i heard it a million times and then i saw the Beetlejuice, and that solidified it as a fantastic song because that's <laughs> that scene is iconic fantastic but I mean, at the most visceral, basic level, this is probably the most enjoyable song in the world. Ever? No. <laughs> it is. It is probably of the five we had today. If I had to pick one that just at the gut was like on the most basic, basic, level. just visceral level, how could you? It's so simple yeah. and happy and feel good. Yeah. And there's some danger. You gotta look out for that black tarantula. Yeah. <laughs> hiding in the banana bunch. <laughs> Interesting fact I found out about this song. It yeah. has a B-side associated with it called Starro. That's I did know that. That was yeah. on my iPod way oh, back in the day. You had Starro? I did. I didn't I know the did. song existed. So like we said, Deo is a song about night shift banana boat workers waiting for the tally man to quickly hurry up and count the banana bunches so they can go home. Yeah. They're, they're waiting for daybreak to go home. Starro is about day shift workers waiting for the stars to come up because that means it's time for them to go home. It's literally the same song. <laughs> same melody, same yeah. everything, but instead of Deo, it's Starro. 
me say star it's a genius way to make it's, twice as much money exactly <laughs> it's like we only have to change one word and we have a whole nother song yeah well another very famous cover by sir well i'm not sure if he's british royalty but he should be sir shaggy like <laughs> shaggy the j- 1990s uh i didn't know he shaggy did a cover did a co- of the oh he did a cover fantastic of deo yeah he did so i highly recommend that one if you talk about re- radical reinterpretation, Shaggy style. Can you understand anything <laughs> he's saying? Only because I've heard the original. Okay. <laughs> oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, another question I want to ask you is, is this idea of this song being part of like the public consciousness. Do you think that will continue to be a thing? Or do you think kids today know this song? Because like I said, the way I was introduced to it was Beetlejuice, which is yeah. a movie that came out in the 80s. So they won't watch Beetlejuice. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they are going to make a sequel, allegedly. That's they true. They better put that in there. But it's a good question. I don't know. Because he's getting very old. He is still alive, apparently. Like he's like he, 90. Or no, Harry, Harry Belafonte. Belafonte. Yes. <laughs> Harry Belafonte is. Beetlejuice he is. He's still alive. But yeah, one, it's a good question. Once he's out of the equation it lightly well what, what kind of legacy will the song have i don't know it's a, it's a good question because i can't say other than this song i have much i don't think i have any other clips of memento <laughs> songs in yeah, my library none. other than this and it's not even because i have one of his albums i got it off the beetlejuice soundtrack, yeah yeah which i also don't know where i got that well when did this song come out first like 50s I 56 it, well, it was recorded in 56. I mean, like they said, it's like a traditional folk song, so who knows where the song originated. But yeah. it was... The only reason we know about it is because of Harry Belafonte's cover of it. Yeah. So yeah. the 50s is when it came into the public's mind. Yeah. Well, 60 years for a song? That's good. Yeah, maybe, Can't be upset. maybe it'll be a great, and it's <laughs> going to be like Shakespeare. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. going to know. Yeah. Damn. Banana Boat song. <laughs> it is. Again, yeah, it's odd. I, it was the least... I had the least to say about it. Of all... Everything we listened to. I agree. To, but it is probably the most just viscerally enjoyable song. Yeah. You don't have to think <laughs> about it. Yeah, exactly. It's just on in the background. It could... Uh, in fact, I would be surprised if you, if you played it for almost anyone. I can't imagine someone saying they hate it. Someone I just gets up and walks away. This is not I for me. It. I hate this it. This is not for me. <laughs> It's got something. It's got bananas. It's got wine to go home. It's got a big tarantula. It's got alcohol. <laughs> it's Work got all that. night on a drink of rum. There you go. Let's see. Bananas, spiders, rum. <laughs> Where can you go wrong? You go. It's the perfect equation. The yeah. only thing it's missing is Scientology. I mean, well, that was something I didn't want to have to bring it up. But <laughs> it was a little bit clear, I thought. That, again, the only thing lacking was Scientology. The Thetans were coming through. I know. And it was dragging it down a little bit. It was bringing me down. I just recently got rid of some of my Thetans, and it added some uh, more to me due to its lack of having gotten rid of them. I'm going to have to go back for some processing. Yes. You know what I mean? And, uh... Maybe after yeah. I get my next paycheck, though, because it's pretty expensive. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's the only worth thing every worth penny. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to The Game of Love and How to Destroy It by Dane Cook. Mm-hmm. This is off of Dane Cook's HBO special, Vicious Circle, which came out in 2006. I'm sure all of you are familiar, but if you're not, Dane Cook... With Sir Dane Cook. With Sir Dane Cook, stand-up comedian from Cambridge, Massachusetts. 
I, I thought you were going to say, say Cambridge that. University. Oh, no. I would have guessed. I would have guessed. Dude, it was highbrow comedy. When he says relation shit. Wow. I want to get into whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, but hold okay, on one sorry. second. <laughs> no, because that, that is one thing I want to talk about. For those of you who aren't familiar, Dane Cook's stand-up comedian. He's a very controversial figure mm -hmm. in the stand-up community. There are multiple accusations of plagiarism directed towards him. A lot of people hate how successful he has. Enormously successful. Enormously successful. Oh and that's actually a bit to his detriment, especially with this recording, which is something I want to talk about. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for the guy. I think he deserves a lot of the credit he got because I almost feel like he gave a breath of life into stand-up. Like, he brought it back to the mainstream's eye. Because sometimes stand-up can be kind of very, like, comedy nerd specific. Yeah. He definitely, like, brought people who weren't into stand-up comedy back into stand-up comedy. Yeah. Did he get a little too big? I think he did. Did he fly a little too close to the sun and burn <laughs> his wings? I definitely think that happened. So, this, this story, I guess, the game of love and how to destroy it. First of all, the whole Vicious Circle recording, I find very awkward. It is a giant arena of people. Yeah. And instead of laughing at his jokes, they cheer and clap as if he was like a rock star. Yeah, I noticed that. Very strange. Very, very strange. It's just so weird to hear like them screaming and cheering in response to something that laughter should be there. Yeah. And that line, like I call bad relationships relationships. Oh. That's that's actually a throwback to another joke that he's made previously. So oh. scattered throughout this whole like if, if you're familiar with Dane Cook's, I guess I don't know if you'd call it a discography, but Ovoir of jokes. <laughs> There are many little bits in this larger bit that are callbacks to other funny jokes he has, wow. which I think also elicits that cheering response because it's like, oh, I'm hearing that joke I like instead of actually thinking it's funny. Like the yeah. relationships thing, the his impersonation of like a girl not getting out of a bad relationship because she left all of her CDs in his truck. He has another bit that's very similar about a bad relationship. That's no. very similar to this whole story. That makes a little bit more sense because sometimes the applause seemed very random. Yes. That now that I think there's got to be some other comedian who, between you know the last fifty years, but the only one I can think of to compare would be like early Steve Martin when he like started doing the college circuit yeah. and was like an absolute rock star and people were just clapping and applauding and screaming. And that's partly from what I've read why he stopped doing it. Yeah, he it hates it now. Yeah. He wants nothing to do with stand-up now. Yeah. I actually heard his book he wrote about it. It's very depressing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've heard, too. So I guess overall, this is a very long story. Like, if you look at this album, of most of the jokes are only one to five minutes. And this one's 22 minutes long. It's a, it's a very long story. I it's a long joke. The, it is long the longest tongue. joke I've ever heard. And at the very end, I, I gave out a little chuckle, right? I, yeah. I didn't laugh at all until it ended. And then right after that, then I went, yeah. <laughs> I thought overall it was pretty funny. It wasn't laugh out loud guffawing by myself funny. No. Because it's 
it's very Dane Cook. Yeah. It's observational, and it's very like, this is what men do, and this is what women do. Isn't that weird? Yes, yeah. And he likes to do that thing that Jim Gaffigan does. Yeah. Where he points out how, the, like, oh, this is what you're thinking the audience. But whereas, um... Jim Gaffigan's is very like insecure, like, oh, what a weirdo, that guy's so weird. Dane Cook is very boastful, like, yeah, I said that, that's me, I'm the man, and this is what women do, isn't that weird? Yep. And that's exactly. pretty much this whole, this whole joke about a bad relationship. Yeah. So, okay, I'm gonna say this, and I don't mean it to sound as mean to Dane Cook as it sounds, because, as you've already said, he's been hated on a lot. But, again, I would, again, as complex a thinker as I am, I've thought of three steps I would imagine a stand-up comedian goes through, okay? Okay, lay The down first me. one, and I could be totally wrong, I'm not a stand-up comedian. The first one is, is you just sort of think of things that are funny. I imagine, it's just an intuitive process, this is funny, right? And then the second stage is then you formulate it into a joke. Sure. And then the last stage is you polish it with delivery and the flourish and cadence and, yeah and i don't mean this to sound really mean but it's almost like he skipped that middle step where he didn't quite actually formulate what he thought was funny into a joke but he put so much delivery energy flourish around things that he thinks are funny and then you either kind of recognize that I thought that was funny once too and yeah. you're saying it like a funny guy <laughs> or you're just kind of like eh, where's the joke <laughs> but I don't mean joke? that to sound as mean as it might sound no he definitely kind of I think he goes for that kind of like loose cannon yeah not much of a plan I'm winging it as I go feel yeah. even though I'm sure with the amount of money he was paid for this it was highly highly rehearsed yeah I bet it was I've seen multiple recordings of him, and it's like exactly the same delivery. But he does—is that it, right? He makes it seem very natural. Wow! Like, yeah. like I—I I guess I'm kind of a Dane Cook apologist. He's not my favorite Santa. I'm glad. By I'm glad. Means. I didn't want us to both start hating on him. Oh no! Completely. I definitely see his flaws, his mm. downfall, and he is by no means my favorite stand-up comedian. But. I don't think he deserves as much shit as he, he got gets. an unfair amount of shit, but maybe it equals out given the somewhat unfair amount of money he got. Exactly. Well, <laughs> and I've heard other stories about him, like, showing up to, like, small clubs and just being a huge dick. Really? Like, uh. stand-up comedians often will go to little clubs to work out their new material, and if someone like Dane Cook shows up, you get bumped out of your spot because yeah. it's Dane Cook. Yep. And he goes up, and he'll do, like, a four-hour set. No one else can go. And yeah. He's... He's very, I mean, I guess, justifiably cocky. Yeah. He's got a lot of success, and he knows he's big shit. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. I thought one, again, I love looking at the wisdom embedded in YouTube comments. I thought this was a very insightful and honest comment by a fan. Quote, his voice and energy is the funniest thing. If you were reading his performance, you wouldn't laugh. But hey, he is funny. I like him. I laugh. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's very honest. I think it's very true. It's very <laughs> and that's that's a lot of the criticism he gets is the only people that the only reason why people laugh at him is because he goes on stage and screams and makes noises. And 
a huge aspect that's missing from listening to it is his his physical, physical nature. Because yeah. if you've ever seen him live, he flips and runs and jumps and flails and kicks, and he's a very physical comedian. Yeah, that's yeah. like a third of his act is just watching his body as he's doing this. Yeah, and and I think something you kind of suggested earlier. I think the really hardcore stand-up comedians it's all it's a writer's market for them it's all about how well did you write and formulate that joke and typically the delivery tends to suffer a little bit exactly and for dane cook you you really do have to give him credit for having an unbelievably engaging delivery you can't deny that an unbelievable delivery and yeah i think it just you almost you could have just guessed that the stand-up comedian circle inner cadre we're not gonna reject it you just could have guessed well no yeah and you know the hardcore stand-up comedians are infamous for being very snooty and yeah. elitist yeah and like unless you're suffering for your comedy because mm-hmm. the thing is that dane cookies he's a happy-go-lucky guy yeah and a lot of hardcore stand-up comedians think that you need to be like this brooding suffering you gotta like live Torture light genius. in this shit and that's when that's where the comedy comes from is yeah. the pain yeah. Like, and did you ever listen to uh, Mark Maron's interview with Dane Cook? I think I did, like, a couple of years ago. He was a right. huge dick to him, which oh, is really? to be expected. <laughs> well, and actually, I didn't hear it. Yeah, he I prefaces it with the fact that he was about 10 days in to quitting nicotine, so he was on edge oh, to begin with. But, you know, Mark, he's got no censor. He went straight into asking about, like, the plagiarism stuff. Yeah. I will say that Dane has gone about the plagiarism accusations in a decent way. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the episode of Louie that he was in. Yeah, it was brilliant. I thought yeah, that was, was awesome. awesome. <laughs> I mean, that was Louie and him saying, look, we're adults, water under the bridge. Let's make something better out of this rather than focusing on the negativity of it. Yeah. That was a hilarious episode. Yeah, it was Very great. awkward, very Louie, yeah. very great. No, it was... Dane Cook... I just, you know, the last kind of thing I'll say to kind of hate on him, and but this isn't hating on him, it's hating on the effect he's had, which is both good and bad. As you said, he did rejuvenate comedy. People yes. that would have never given a shit about stand-up comedy are were introduced to stand-up comedy, without a doubt. But at the same time, I feel like after Dane Cook came out and... Throughout my sort of very limited, small little social world, occasionally, like at parties, I would meet people who would all of a sudden start thinking they were really funny. And they would tell stories that I didn't think were particularly funny, but they would have the most outlandish delivery. And they would, it was just like, you listen to a Dane Cook album, and now you think you're really funny, and now I have to suffer for it. They skipped that second part. They skipped that. They second skipped part. the second part where they didn't yeah. actually formulate it into a joke. Exactly. Like, so, oh, this thing's funny. Exactly. I'm gonna yell and it'll be really funny. Exactly. And I'm gonna have a captive audience. I mean, I do feel like a little bit. A no, little he. Bit. While I'm an apologist, I'm not saying he does. He deserves some of the shit that got thrown yeah. at him. Yeah. You know. He, he probably never asked for it. Like, he was kind of probably thrown into the spotlight. But when you're in the spotlight, That's you have happens. to accept the hate as well as the love. Because yeah. everyone's looking at you. Yeah. 
But we can never forget his role in uh, Mystery Man. Let's never forget. That his, is true. His brief, brief cameo. There's a lot of good cameos in that movie. Tom Waits Tom was Waits, in that movie. Yeah, Man, I can't wait for Tom Waits. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Little Man by Atmosphere. Ah, yes. It's off um, Atmosphere's 2005 album. You can't imagine how much fun we are having. Atmosphere is a hip-hop duo from Minneapolis, Minnesota. MC Slug and DJ Ant. And if you're not familiar with Atmosphere, they are probably one of the biggest indie underground hip-hop groups in the world. And I also just love them because they're from Minneapolis. Yeah. I actually kind of met them once. Really? They were doing a signing at the St. Cloud Electric Fetus while yeah. I was there, and I got to kind of say hi to them, and they said hey, but there was also a huge line of other people, so it's not like I got to like sit down and have a conversation with them. No, They are founding members of the Rhyme Sayers, which is one of the largest underground indie hip-hop record labels and other than that that's about all the background info i got so what yeah. did you think of little man i thought yeah i i don't know atmosphere enormously well but being from the midwest near minneapolis it was impossible to not encounter them and yeah fantastic as always i love just the 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 rhyme very good but the beats and all, you know the horns and the vocals in the back fantastic i just think their music is really good really good i agree and actually the whole the all the background music the beat and everything is entirely a sample of a song by the ojs oh okay the ojs are an american r&b disco group from ohio they're actually still yeah. around today they're really big back in the 70s and it's it's their song who am i and ant took that and just sampled it and nice. remixed it and that's the entire yeah and yeah, it's I, don't awesome. know, I love this song it's uh very introspective it's very raw it's very honest it's it's very slug if yeah. you are for people who are more familiar with atmosphere's discography it's kind of i don't want to say typical but you know he's a sensitive guy and that's kind of the whole indie underground hip-hop thing it's like let's sing about real stuff not about bitches and cars yeah exactly so the song is split into three parts it's three letters the first letter is from slug to his son jacob the second letter is to his father greg and the third letter is to himself i construed little man to have multiple meanings it's the title of the song his son is his little man yeah he is his father's little man and in the third letter He's calling himself a little man because he's pointing out all this downfall. He's kind of belittling himself with the term little man. Yeah. Uh, did you get any I, insight from that? Yeah, I liked Okay, I mean, when I first heard just the first verse, and I, I was like, okay, this is to his son. And that is sort of its own genre of music almost. Yeah. The musician making a song for their son. And I did a little research bear with me but these are all the musicians actually this is just the biggest musicians that have done a song for their kid okay this is just a few of the highlights is eric clapton on that list? eric clapton okay. led zeppelin jay-z neil young bowie rolling stones radiohead billy ray cyrus the song obviously failed come on <laughs> billy joel john lennon joan baez lenny kravitz 
Rod Stewart reworking Bob Dylan's Forever Young. The list goes on and on. Is that only from male singers to sons? Not, uh, there's like two or three, Bjork and Joan Baez, only females. Otherwise, yeah, it's... But those are all to sons. Yeah. Because Eminem wrote a song for his daughter. Oh, yeah, for his daughter, true. But I guess that couldn't be on that list if it's only for sons. Yeah, oh, this is probably you gotta just keep, children. We, this we is gotta, probably gender inclusive. You gotta keep inclusive. the patriarchy yeah. going. <laughs> but let us not forget the greatest, inarguably, it's not for debate, the greatest song uh, with Arms Wide Open by Creed. That's the by far the greatest ode to a child. <laughs> but there are some generic, you know, parts that emerge from these. There's usually some kind of apology to the kid, like which this look, song does. Exactly. Yeah. Look, I, I'm not around. I'm bad, and I'm probably gonna you're gonna resent me at some point in your life. And this song will maybe you know buffer that a little yes. bit. Uh, there's obviously there's always the sort of uh, I'm proud of you in some way. Right, which he um, also said in the song. But it's also a bit of cautionary, you know, like, but be careful, kid. You know, your dad's not quite around all the time, so you gotta, you know, handle sure. yourself. Uh, and then there's always a little bit of hopefulness. Hopefulness. And uh, I, I would just thought it would be fascinating to, like, sample, survey all the kids that have been on the receiving end and ask them, did you like this song? <laughs> What are your reactions to this song? Has this affected your life in any way? <laughs> I would love to just get them all together, all these musicians, kids, and be like, what do you think? <laughs> well, with one interesting thing is, is this isn't the first song that Slug wrote about his child. Oh, really? So this song is supposed to kind of take place right as the kids kind of growing up, entering the pre-teen years. Mm. So I might be getting this wrong because I... I mean, I do like Atmosphere, but I'm, I don't know their discography by heart. But I believe the first song is kind of... He's worried about failing his son, raising him. But he realizes, like, by me being afraid, I'm not going to do it. So it's like, I'm realizing the problems that could happen going forward, and I'm going to change my path. Yeah. And this song is like, oh, fuck. I didn't change my path. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I did really like about this song is the first two letters to his son and father are kind of thank you letters. Yeah. The thank you letter to his son is, this is all the positivity you add to my life, and I want to thank you. This letter to his father is like, look, you were a terrible father. You beat my mother in front of me, you did coke, and now I'm never going to do either one of those things. So I just want to thank you for <laughs> scaring me so much as a kid that I'm never going to do that to my kid. It's, which is a type of compliment. Yes. And the third... <laughs> third letter to himself he ends it with saying i want to say thank you but i'm not gonna i'm just gonna say good luck yeah which yeah. i thought was interesting because it's like saying your journey's not over so good luck with that i'm not gonna thank you yet because you still have time to mess up not, or, or yeah. you have time to fuck up or to not fuck up yeah. so good yeah. luck with that yeah and i thought i thought having three different sort of people being addressed made the song much more like complex and interesting than just yeah. the standard just one note kind of song to your son so yeah it was very yeah i thought that really added nuance and what i'd like and not that i dislike the opposite of this but i liked how straightforward the lyrics were like i'm thinking back to listening to whammy on the first episode by death grips <laughs> yeah i have no idea what the hell that guy was talking about yeah. like i had to do research on what whammy was yeah like 
I liked how I did have to listen to this multiple times to like really get it I feel but it was relatable I guess is the best way to put it yeah um, yeah I liked how honest it was I liked the beats oh I, I like the song a lot overall the only complaint I have is that it ends really abruptly yeah yeah it's kind of jarring almost like he finishes that third letter there's like a couple measures of music and then the beat just quickly fades out like that yeah i don't know i wasn't a fan of that yeah 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 that was a bit jarring that was it i want do you know what the next song is on the album not off the top maybe, of my yeah, head maybe but ties in. the way that the song fades out i don't think it would like transition into the next song yeah so i think it just just ends but I guess I don't know how you'd end it, because this song is literally just the three letters. There's no bridge, there's no chorus, it's just letter one, letter two, letter three, done. You know? So maybe maybe it's appropriate, I don't know. Someone who did know how to end the song? Creed? That's, uh... You gotta end it with <laughs> arms wide open. I'm just waiting, someone out there who's like a great technical wizard, mash up this song with arms wide open, see what happens. It's not open, <laughs> it's open. Yeah, open. <laughs> little man, little man, oh boy! He'll win another Grammy yeah. in a song that. Uh, <laughs> you hear about a couple of years ago how the lead singer of Creed made this video on YouTube asking his fans for for money? Yeah, yeah. He's been in the news of just recently. Someone close to Scott Stapp. He has a name, Sir Scott Stapp. Come on, sir. <laughs> He's a Scientologist. Yeah, exactly. In the Church of Scientology. His theme levels are quite low, but uh, he, someone close to him alleged that uh, he had schizophrenia, really? which sheds a little bit of light on his very erratic behavior and some of his music. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I feel bad now if he actually is battling with mental illness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to just think he was a huge dick. It's but... a little bit hard to hate on him. <laughs> God, Creed, keep getting back in my life. What is that album called? Something of Clay. Human Clay. Human clay. <laughs> Don't act like you didn't have it way back when you my, were eight. My, da on. my dad did. Yeah, I listened to it. I'm not going to deny it. I just remember... <laughs> Father and Son with Arms Wide Open, baby. God damn it. Dang, that's perfect. The album art for that is this shitty CGI, like, clay man, Very like, shit. bursting out of the ground <laughs> with, like, a sunrise in the background. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh, it's and the music video for Arms Wide Open... <laughs> It's like him walking around in like leather pants and a leather jacket. It's raining, right? Yeah. It's and gotta be. He's like in this like Garden of Eden and he's just looking pissed off and singing. <laughs> or no, that that was a different song though. Six feet from the edge. Is, or is that yeah. arms wide open? I don't know. They're all they the blur same together. Song. They're all <laughs> they the same blur song. together. That was really the death of of any hint of a grunge movement. So that was the death of it. it was with Creed. <laughs> All right, I guess it's time to move on to our last song, which is La Llorona by Favela Vargas. I had a hard time finding which album this was originally off of. Yeah. So I'm going to say I have it in my libra library off the 2003 album Viva La Tristeza. Which is a very interesting album. I don't know if you know anything about nothing. this. Nothing. I know okay. nothing. <laughs> so, there is a Spanish film director named Pedro Almodovar. He mostly makes Spanish films. I'm not that familiar with his filmography. 
So he made a movie called Talk to Her. Hmm. This album, Viva La Tristeza, is not the soundtrack for that album, but a compilation of songs that he was listening to while he wrote that movie. <laughs> yeah. Meta. Very yes. meta. So it's like these are the songs that inspired the script for this movie. In this song, La Llorona, was one of the songs on that album. I, I would love, I would love if, if you, like a director really famous was like, here's an album of the songs that inspired me. And it's just like Creed. Just, <laughs> it's Creed. just a re-release of Human Clay. Just <laughs> no, like just blatant, like they copied the CD and just put a new. Yeah. Movie. The next Paul Thomas Anderson movie, he really just, just Creed. Creed. Just, just Creed. Nothing but Creed. What if it? <laughs> and then, what if it wasn't just Human Clay, but it was just arms wide open, like twenty times, <laughs> yeah. just on repeat, or slowed down to last sixty minutes? Oh, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. But okay, 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 back, back to the. So, La Llorona is actually a Mexican legend. Which translates to the weeping woman. I'll tell you the legend quickly. It's yeah. pretty short. So the story tells of a beautiful woman named Maria who drowns her children in the Mexican River as means of revenge because her husband left her for a younger woman. Soon after she drowns her children, she realizes, oh my god, my children are dead. And then she goes to the river and drowns herself out of her sorrow. Once she gets to heaven, she gets challenged at the gates as to where the whereabouts of her children are. Mm. I guess St. Peter that's at the gates. Sounds right. It is. <laughs> by, the, by the power vested in me, it's St. Peter. I think it's St. Peter. It's like, hey, you can't get into heaven without your kids. So she gets sent back to earth to find her children. Because I guess St. Peter doesn't know the kids are dead. Hmm. And she doesn't want to admit to it. Come on, St. Peter. So for the rest of life, Maria is forced to wander Earth for all of eternity, searching in vain for her drowned children, constantly weeping, which gives her the name La Llorona. And she's trapped in the living world. She's trapped between the world of the living and the dead. Mm. And there's like legends of certain parts of the desert where you can hear weeping sounds of women. I guess there are hundreds upon hundreds of stories and movies and songs inspired by this actually i don't know if you ever saw the movie shutter island yeah yeah it kind of reminded me of that yeah like especially so the song one of the most famous appropriations of this legend is chavela vargas's rendition of la llorona mm. which People believe, I don't know if you looked up the lyrics to this or not. A little bit. They're huge. There's a lot of There's a lot of <laughs> lyrics, and it's a little vague as to what the song is about. Because as I was reading it, I would assume it's from the perspective of the weeping woman. Yeah. But actually, a lot of people, a, a common interpretation of it is it's actually has really nothing to do with the legend of the weeping woman. Hmm. The song is about a man who falls in love with a woman and then he soon realizes that she's crazy and doesn't want to stay with her. Wow. But anytime he even thinks about leaving her, she starts crying uncontrollably. And he does everything in his power to leave her, but he just can't. 
because of her mind game. That's why the songs lasted so long. It caters to both. Exactly. You got the male and so, the female crowd. He is so overcome with depression and sorrow that his only option is to go drown himself because it's the only way to get out of this relationship. Yeah, he's right. So the only reason why the song is called La Llorona is because he is similar to the weeping woman in that they both drown themselves out of their sorrow. Um, wow. So, now that you know that, paired with what you already thought about it, what, did, what do you think of it? See, that's weird because I thought it was like the happiest song I've ever heard in my life. It was like, I thought it was, now you're telling me this is bumming me out. This is so, if anyone has heard this, it sounds so happy. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, yeah, no, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, she almost sounds like she's crying oh, it's, while she sings. Yeah, it is the most haunting song I think I've heard in a very long time. Yeah. I don't know, she, yeah. And it's just good. Is there, I think there's, because I looked and it's in the musical genre of ranchera. Yes. Which usually has a lot more instruments and this is just her and her guitar almost crying. Yeah. And she actually talked about that because she's famous for the ranchera style yeah. music. And she stripped it down. She got rid of the trumpets and the string instruments. It's just a guitar in her. And it's, it's brutal. so stark. <laughs> and like there's moments where she's crying. And then it ends with such fire and explosion and crescendos. With her, I think the last line is just, Moss! And then it's just over. <laughs> yeah. I thought I, it was heartbreaking and beautiful. Like, it was incredible, I thought. It made me wonder, how would Mark Kozelik have done it? <laughs> <laughs> well, what would his cover the explosion <laughs> wouldn't come at the end. Yeah, it we... would just trail off into like the sounds of him drowning himself, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, this was yeah. It was weird because this was like a seven or eight minute song. Yes, it's long, but it it really was. It didn't, and I don't even know the words. To, you know, obviously, I speak English. I'm American. Obviously, I don't know other you languages. Speak American. Come on, I speak American. But uh, you know, it's beautiful and haunting. Yeah, it's kind of brutal song, but um, yeah. I will say that that's a good point you raised. Like, it's an eight-minute-long song, and it didn't feel eight minutes at all. No. Whereas the Ocean Breeze Salty was a four-minute-long song, and it felt like an eight-minute-long song. Felt about eight minutes. Yeah. I don't know. She, she yeah. definitely kept me engaged. Like you said, even though I didn't know what she was saying, the emotive nature of her voice just really drew me in yeah i felt like her tears and her anger and some of the lines that she was like almost whispering like yeah it was like i don't know it wasn't like blatant sadness it's like retrospective sadness yeah yeah nostalgia yeah yeah her apparently one of her nicknames because she's Huge, hugely. Famous. I think she just passed away within the last ten years. It was, it was recent. Yeah. yeah, hugely. I mean, enormously famous in South America and Mexico. But apparently, one of her nicknames was the Rough Voice of Tenderness. I thought, oh. wow, that's very accurate. That is very accurate. It's tender, but it, incredibly rough. I mean, yeah, it's very emotionally complex. But yeah, great song. I also read that at the age of eighty, she came out as a lesbian. Is that right? Yes. Wow. 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 Yeah, because I had read something about how, like, from my, like, in her, like, 30s and beyond, she would, like, sometimes try to, like, dress as a man and yeah. perform and smoke cigarettes and have people just assume she was a man, which is amazingly progressive for what I assume was, like, 1950s. 
Yeah, well, and I, yeah. I, in the research I did of her, her career started pretty late in yeah. her life. And then she took a huge hiatus because I guess she was a raging alcoholic for like 15 years. Uh. And she had to like take time off to get healthy. And yeah, she died very recently and was very successful late in life. Like, I think when she originally did her rendition of the song, she was quite young, but the recording we listened to, you could tell from her voice she was quite old. Yeah. But she still just had this fire in her. Yeah. And it wasn't whiskey. Yeah. It was emotion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, well, I guess that kind of wraps that up. So, of the five, do you have a favorite you'd say? So, I can't pick Creed, just to be clear. Okay. <laughs> Other than Creed. Okay. Other okay. than Arms Wide Open. From here on out. What's your second favorite? Just for the record, from here on out, whenever Jared asks what my favorite song was, the subtext is besides yeah. Creed. Also, this will definitely be Dominic's <laughs> last appearance on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Harry It's got to be. Yeah. At the most basic, visceral level, it's just a universally undeniable song. Beautiful. Deo. Yeah. Sign me up. Give me on the banana boat. I'm, one of them I'm down. I'll work all night. I'll drink at the room. <laughs> Sign me up. I think I'd have to go with Little Man by Atmosphere. I don't know. There's so much shitty hip hop music out there <laughs> that Atmosphere is just too good to pass up. And this is one of the most incredible songs I think I've heard by him. I, don't know. I guess I'm a sucker for like sensitive hip-hop artists anytime they break it down be like you know i'm not all bad and, <laughs> it's rare i, yeah. I, I dug yeah. it because yeah. i think hip-hop is like so synonymous with like in your face and intimidation like it's yeah. nice to see the walls break down yeah and i'm not trying to like knock them for that it's kind of built into the culture of hip-hop and rap and the cheese mode yeah yeah, well, I guess that's that. Thank you for helping me with this again. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Yeah, and other than that, well, I guess we need to pick up the playlist. Hold on one second. All right, I have my iTunes open here to pick out the playlist for next week. I have Dominic here to make sure that I'm not lying or cheating the system. So our first song is Straws Pulled at Random by Meshuggah. The next song is My Buried Child by Swans. Third song is Jack the Ripper by My Chemical Romance. Fourth song is I Like to Move in the Night by Eagles of Death Metal. And the fifth song is, like I said, I don't know French, Bon Nuit by the band Wee oui Wee. Oui. So you can look forward to that next week. And other than that, thank you for listening.